Hey everyone, before we jump into the episode with Don LaGreca, here's some big news just in time for the Super Bowl. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is officially live right here in New York State with mobile sports. That means you can place a bet no matter where you are, like at home, at your friend's house, or even at the bar with DraftKings Sportsbook. And DraftKings is making it even more exciting. Listen to this. DraftKings is giving new customers a special offer that you don't want to miss. Bet just $5 or more on the Super Bowl and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. In Super Bowl 56, the Cincinnati Bengals and Los Angeles Rams will face off, and you can bet on all sorts of scenarios. For example, you can bet on whether Cooper Cup will score a touchdown, Joe Burrow to have over or under 280 passing yards, or who will be the Super Bowl MVP. You can even bet on who will win the opening coin toss. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash wherever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Sign up using code ICTPOD. Bet just $5 or more and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's code ICTPOD this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. And now for the episode. You're as cold as ice You're willing to sacrifice our love Hello everyone, welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I am your host Joey DeMeglio and today I am joined by a very special guest. You may know him as the co-host on the Michael K Show or as the play-by-play announcer of the Rangers on the radio when it's not Kenny Albert. I am pleased to introduce Mr. Don LaGreca. Don, it is such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. How are you? I'm doing doing very, very well. So when I started this podcast with my friend about like a year and a half ago, we started in August during the, the pandemic, so August of 2020. Once we started having guests on, we had like Eric Ciccolini, Austin Ruschoff, Hunter Skinner, some of the Rangers prospects. We, um, one of my biggest goals was to eventually have you on. So this is actually like a surreal moment for me. I'm very starstruck at the moment. Oh, I appreciate that, man. That's cool. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, to start, I know you went to Ramapo College and you graduated with a degree in communications. Am I right? Yes. Okay. So what made you want to pursue sports broadcasting? Well, I just, uh, I, I couldn't play. Um, I, I played base, baseball in high school. I was a pretty good pitcher. Uh, I made the varsity team as a freshman. Um, and then I went through high school and I won. Uh, we had an elective my senior year uh, for communications. It was a communication class. And I won the award on graduation day. Um, and I was like, oh, well, this is great. Maybe this will help me get into communications, uh, communication um in, in Ramapo. And I, I flirted with the baseball team. They, they recruited me. I didn't get a scholarship, but they recruited me. Uh, Ramapo had won the division three world series in 1984. So they had a pretty good baseball team. So by the time I got there in 86, I tried out for the team and I, and I didn't make it. I got cut. I was one of the last cuts and I just marched right into the radio station. I figured if I couldn't, uh, if I couldn't play, maybe I can, uh, do it on the radio. So I did a sports show. I did a heavy metal show and I spent so much time at the radio station. It took me six years to graduate. And finally in 92, I graduated with a degree in communications and, um, and I was able to work uh, both music and sports and did basketball and baseball play by play at college and DJ and did everything I needed to do to, to get the education necessary to, to do this for a living. 
So um, you took it took you a little while to get your foot in the door, obviously. So how did you end up getting to 98.7 on ESPN? Well, it's it's a it's a long journey, but I'll try to make it as short as, as possible. So as I'm graduating college, I worked at a place called Phone Programs, which supplied 976 numbers. I don't know if you remember the 976 numbers like dial a Santa, dial a joke, lottery numbers. And I started working there in the city in 1990, a couple of years before I graduated. And and I would voice um, the lottery. I would have to there, there would be like this, this thing called a television machine it was a big glorified answering machine where you'd put cassettes in to a Marantz. If you even know what that is, plug it into the television machine and load in the program. So like dial a Santa, dial a joke. I'd have these big, huge suitcases full of cassettes that I'd have to put in. And we also there was also pornography. There was uh, <laughs> there was a uh, porn uh, 900 numbers and 970 numbers. I didn't voice them, but I had to put the tape in. And I did that for a couple of years and I was able to do some voice stuff. But part of phone program is a sports phone. And then finally, I was able to get my foot in the door at sports phone, which is on Elmont, Long Island, which was owned by phone programs. And, and some of the biggest names in sports started out at sports phone. Howie Rose. Bob Papa, Al Troutwig, Michael Kay, some really big names. Um, and I finally started to work there in the in May of 92. And I worked there for like 10 years off and on. Um, and then somebody recommended me for 1010 wins. I started doing updates on 1010 wins, I would say, in the uh, winter of 96. And then FAN heard me. Actually, it was in the, um, the winter of 95. Um, Mark Chernoff heard me, uh, in 96. So I started doing overnights at the fan and I worked at the fan from 96 to 2001. And then when ESPN started, uh, the guy that got me the gig at 1010 win, Steve Malzberg was the one that was doing the hiring at ESPN. And I became, you know, the first voice of ESPN in September of 2001. And, and I've been working there for 20 plus years already. So it was a lot of years, a lot of struggle, but uh, that's pretty much connecting the dots, how I got from, you know, graduating Rampo College to where I am now. That's a great journey. And for all you young listeners out there that are in high school, Ramapo is a very, very good college. I visited it myself when I was in, um, in high school and very, very nice campus. Great, great school. Highly recommend that school if you're, if you're looking to apply to some colleges. I myself, well, it helped me is, was the ra- the ra- they had the radio station. And I would not recommend this to anybody listening, but I cut classes to be at the radio station. Like, so that's why it took me so long to graduate because instead of going for, you know, the, my algebra class, I was, you know, Oh, a uh, DJ couldn't make it in. I'll fill in for him. Or I was doing some game or doing something at the station. So that, that was the best part of Rampo is that it was a hands-on radio station. And I got like firsthand uh, uh, education working, um, working at the station. That sounds like a tremendous experience. Um, I want to move on to, you know, where you currently are. So I'd say, you know, calling games with Dave Maloney, the youngest captain, named captain in Rangers history, is probably like an incredible feeling for you. What is what's that like? It's surreal. Like, I never thought I'd be doing that. I always wanted to do play by play my whole life. It just I, I, I never got the opportunity. It was always like t- being a talk show host or doing updates. And then when I started doing pre and post with the Rangers and when they came out of the lockout in 05, 
Uh, about three years later, Bob Wischusen couldn't fill in for Kenny anymore because he started getting more games on ESPN for college football and basketball. So they auditioned me. I didn't think I'd have any chance to get it. And I got it. And I did my first game in October of 08 in Philadelphia. I ended up doing 15 games that first year. And now I've done as many as 40 because, as you know, Kenny does everything. So there's plenty of opportunities to fill in for him. Dave is so great. Um, the way I describe it is it's the closest thing to being a player because when you're in sports radio, all you do is recap and preview, recap and preview. When you're calling a game, you're actually calling the game as it's happening and you get to travel with the team. And, you know, even though you're not a player, you still feel like you're really part of a team. And Dave really is great because he still wears his heart on his sleeve, complaining about the officials living and dying. I got so many great stories of things that like he's been through during the anguish of games. And I just think that's so great that even though he hasn't played for the Rangers in God, 40 years, he still loves the team still feels like he's a part of it. And it just makes it so much fun to do games with him. Yeah. I could definitely tell that he, he, he's, he's still the New York Ranger. My mom grew up watching him and she used to see like all those commercials, like the jeans commercial with him, Ron Duguay, all those guys. Yeah. There. And um, even to this day, when she, she turns on a game and watches with me, she feels the same way. Like when, when he comes in during the intermissions, like he's talking about the Rangers, even when hockey night live was a thing, you remember that on MSG? Oh yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, he was so passionate when he was talking about the Rangers, like, like it's our team like it's his team you know what I mean like um and that I guess that just never left him but one thing I wanted to point out was that you know all these broadcasters Gary Cohen you know he's got Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling and they're like they're close they're like to me they're like brothers Sam Rosen Joe Micheletti or Sam Rosen and uh, John Davidson those guys are like brothers and then there's you and Dave Maloney and to me you guys are like brothers like I've been listening to you guys call games since um, the playoffs in 2014. And I love when you guys call the games. I always get excited when you're on the, on the air, no disrespect to Kenny Albert. He's great. I love him too, but it's always exciting when I get to hear your voice, but I feel like you two guys are brothers and you know, it's funny because um, Dave Maloney's brother is Don and your name's also Don. So I thought that was really interesting <laughs> to, to point out. I'm a, I'm, I have a brother and his name's Dave. <laughs> that's so funny yeah that's great oh my gosh that's I mean I don't well even... it's really cool to hear that because you know working with Dave on these games since you know for the last 15 years you know there's a there's a there's a bond that develops especially when you're on the road that's what's really sucked during this pandemic is we you know we're not traveling with the team so we're doing the games off the monitor but you know going out to dinner you know and you know, hanging out on the plane together. There's a camaraderie that comes with the road. You start to know each other's schedules and, and stuff. So, yeah, you, you spend a lot of time with each other. And, and listen, when when you're with the team, you've got like the MSG guys. you got, you know, Sam and Joe, and then they've got their crew. And radio, it's just me and Dave, you know. So sometimes we just like kind of stick together and wait for each other uh, when uh, we're, we're getting uh, getting on the plane and all that stuff. And uh, I I, I told this story on the air before um, it's kind of, it's kind of embarrassing, but it just, it's funny. And it also speaks to the camaraderie you were, you were talking about is that um, I guess it was about two, like about, I guess it'd be going on three years ago. You know, I had twins back four years ago and they, they got a stomach bug and 
I was, you know, cleaning up after him and everything. And that was on a, a Wednesday or a Thursday, whatever it was. And I had to get a flight to Calgary. I, I, I got a flight to Calgary because I, I had to meet up with the team because they're already on West, in Western Canada. So Friday, the day of the game, like a few hours before the game, I got hit with that stomach bug that the kids had. And I, I was turning green and I was really I was really in bad shape. I called the game. I was a Ranger loss, unfortunately, kind of a nondescript loss back in March of 2019. And I just was really out of it. I was like dozing off between like commercial breaks and between periods. I was like really bad. I fought through the game. And um, so we get to the plane. We had to go to Minnesota for, for the next game. So after we went through and I'm just almost ready to pass, I pass out on the plane. And so we land in Minnesota. I'm still out of it. And I'm the last one off the plane. Everybody made the left to go down the stairs to get on the bus. I just wandered into into the Minneapolis airport. I'm wandering around the airport, not knowing where everybody is. And so they're they're on the bus, and they're like, "Where's Don? Where's Don?" And Dave's like, he ran back into the airport, and like found me, and was able to help me back to the bus. Uh, and I'm like, "That's such a he's like that's that's a teammate, you know? That's somebody there for you." Like he was really concerned about me, and like carried my luggage for me and everything. So. Um, I'm glad that picks up on the air because that's exactly the kind of guy that he is. Yeah, I, that's an incredible story. I, I, I love hearing stuff like that. Um, anyways, Rangers Twitter, as I like to call it, as we like to call it, um, we have such an obsession with Sam Rosen. They just can't get enough of the, the guy. Um, they love him so much. I've always felt the same way about him, uh, Sam and Joe. Um, but I also want to point out that for me personally, I. Uh, you and you and Dave get that same appreciation. And I've been a fan of you guys, like I said, since game one of uh, 2014 playoffs, uh, you're calling the overtime game. Kenny Albert's on NBC. We don't know if the puck goes in uh, when Versard, (laughs) when Versard, when uh, Pouliot throws it on the post and then uh, eventually Versard gets the, the overtime winner. Um, I mean, that call, I remember me and my brother, um, we're like, oh my gosh, this, what a great game. Like we're, we're, we're watching the end and he's like, I want to hear what the ESPN, I know I want to hear what the radio uh, call sounded like. And we eventually got the call and we listened it to together and we heard Dave shriek as uh, you're calling the game winning <laughs> goal. And we're like, we flipped out. We were laughing so hard. We loved it so much. And, you know, um, that's just, that was just one of those memories that I'll never forget. Like I have sound bites of it. I love it when you got, when they, when they throw the sound bite on the Michael K show. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, it's, it's awesome. I mean, what's, what's so great. What's, what's so interesting about that is that I remember it differently than a lot of other people do because they end up losing the next three games and they had to come back from three, one down. So that's kind of a forgotten game in the great, in the landscape of things. Cause then St. Louis mom passes like so much happened after that game, but, I remember it. I hadn't called many playoff games, a handful. Um, so that was my first playoff overtime goal. So I'm nervous. We're going to overtime and I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm at the, uh, at the new, the new building in Pittsburgh. I'm pacing back and forth. Like, I don't want to screw this up. I mean, you, you always want to get it right, but this is an overtime, you know, any fan can rattle off like every playoff overtime goal they've ever seen, you know? So you want to make sure you get this right. So I'm calling the game, I'm calling it, and and I know that it, it's a goal. Like, I, I know it went in. Like, and if you, if you hear my call, I say goal. I say scores. And then I immediately see the official wave it off. 
So I've got to play it straight. They're, they're continuing to play. But I know in my heart that that's a goal. I know it went in. But then I got to keep on, and then Pouliot puts in the rebound scores. And it was just so surreal to know, like, like knowing, like, I, I was on the call. I got it right, but they screwed it up, and I had to stay on top of it, and they end up scoring anyway. So you know they won the game. It's just a matter of who scored the goal. And David, like, Dave, like, jumps, screams. He hits his hand on the parabolic uh, – um, there's um, like a, a fin, I guess, that they put on the side of the booth that they use to get the ambient noise from the from the rink. And he hits his hand on that and we're like high fiving. It was just such a really crazy moment. I was just so happy that I got it right. I was so happy that they won. But Dave's reaction was just so, so genuine. And it was really only topped. By the Grabner goal against Columbus. I'm sure you know about that one. Yes, I know exactly about that. That one they yeah. showed on MSG, like right as they were finishing up the post game. They're like, all right, let's go to the ESPN call, right. Dave and Don. And I, I listened to it. And I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And it, oh my gosh, that was It was incredible such a great too. game. It was such a great back and forth game. But Dave, and I remember getting a lot of heat on social media because people thought that was me. Like when I called the goal, they thought that I, I was shrieking and like, no, I, 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 Dave was shrieking. And the thing that people don't know is that in Columbus, it's the same at the garden now too, but in Columbus, the booth next to our booth was where the executives were like Sather at the time it was, you know, Glenn Sather, Schoenfeld, uh, Schoenfeld, uh, Jeff Gordon were all there. John Rosasco, like all of the executives were right there. So there's, and there's a glass, there's there are two rooms, but there's glass. So you can see inside there. So sometimes we make eye contact, look over and Grabner scores the goal. Dave shrieks and then starts pounding on the window <laughs> next to our booth, trying to get everybody's attention. It was just, it was just very funny just seeing him pan, you know, banging on the, the booth next door. Uh, that and, and Kay gets on me sometimes. It's like, oh, you got to be professional. You can't jump the call. I think it's great because he's just expressing what every fan is expressing in that moment too, and I think that's why it works so well. I understand the the professionalism part from Kay, but I, I agree with you. I think I think you know having that kind of emotion it makes us feel a lot better. You know, like those big goals just they stick in your mind, and then when you hear the call, that's even better. And you know. Having us New York fans, we're spoiled. We're so spoiled with you, with Gary, Keith, and Ron, with Sam and Joe, Michael K. If you're a Yankees fan, we're so spoiled with the broadcasters. I mean, you guys are all the, the best. Um, but you, from going back to 2014, you had that, like you said, that that first game, credible. The Rangers lose the next three. St. Louis' mother passes away. They come back, and then eventually they make it to the finals. Doc Emmerich. Um, couldn't make it to game one of the finals and Kenny Albert filled in for him, which meant that you had to call game one on the radio of the finals. So tell me what that was like. Oh, it was, it was another crazy moment. Uh, Doc's father-in-law passed away, so he couldn't do the game. So Kenny was, was next up. So I get a phone call from my program director at ESPN, Justin Craig. The way, the way it works is, is that you know, when, when it's an out of the ordinary, you know, needing me, they'll call ESPN, let ESPN know, and then they'll let me know. And uh, so just as like, you're on, you're on the call, you're going to call game one. And if you remember, the Rangers had wrapped up their series first. 
right? So the, the Kings and the Blackhawks were still had a game seven to play. So I didn't know where I was going. I knew the Rangers were on the road. It was either going to be Chicago or it was going to be LA. So I was just like, I'm just freaking out that I'm going to get, get a chance to call a Stanley Cup final game. And now I'm rooting for the Blackhawks because I just think that'd be great. An original six matchup. I'd never been to Chicago before at that point. And being a Met fan, the Mets were in Chicago at the beginning of the final. So it was game one was game one was a Wednesday. Game two was Saturday. And the Mets were going to be there for like a four game series starting on Thursday. I'm like, this is great. I'll be able to go to Wrigley Field, see the Mets play. And if you remember, <clears throat> I think it was um, that game seven went to overtime. So it's like, where am I going to go? Am I going to go to L.A. or this long flight? Or am I going to get the shorter flight? And then in Chicago and then the Kings won. I'm like, all right, you know, go, going to L.A. But, you know, it was, you know, go out there early. Did the K show from um, a radio, the radio station in Los Angeles. And uh, Bailey, their mascot came because we, you know, the game, the show's on Yes too, And I took pictures with him and he, he hammed it up. Like it was like a whole big thing. It was just, it was just so surreal, like going through it. And, then it was the same situation in Pittsburgh. We, we do the game. Dave's all nervous because it's the first time he's calling a Stanley Cup final game. The NHL comes in with a, a GoPro and they, they, they install it in front of us so that they could capture us calling the game that they can use if the Rangers win the cup, they can use it for the DVD, mm-hmm. which they never did. And I'd never seen the footage. I don't know what happened. So, you know, it just, it's crazy. It's LA, it's Hollywood. I'm all the way out and, you know, the left coast calling this game. And, and it's a similar situation. It's a great game. They jump out to a two, nothing lead. I'm on the call feeling good. And then slowly the Kings come back, they tie the game. And the thing I remember most is at the very end of regulation, the Rangers were killing a penalty mm-hmm. and it was a tremendous back and forth for like a minute. Haglin had a breakaway and it was just a great finish to regulation. I actually like collapsed in my seat. Like I, it was just like so exhausting. And I remember Dave like pat me on the back, like good job. And it was the same thing, like going to overtime, like, Oh, this is this is Stanley cup final overtime. Oh my God. And then unfortunately, you know, William scores the goal and um, it didn't turn out the way Ranger fans wanted, but it was uh, just incredible. And I, and I had to, that was the only game I called of the series, but I stayed to do the pre and post for game two. And then he obviously came back for three and four. I didn't travel back to LA for game five, but to be there for four of the five games. And it was, uh, you know, just an incredible, incredible fun time. It's a, it's a shame they didn't win the series, but, but everything else was really great. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, that that entire series. I, I'm with you on you know rooting for the Blackhawks. That would have been the better matchup for the Rangers. Um, when when that puck went in. In the Western Conference Final, I was so upset uh, when when the Kings scored in in overtime. Oh, I was I was upset because I knew it was going to be a tough tough matchup. I mean, 
Rangers played well that series, you know, unfortunately they couldn't hold on to the lead and to, to the leads in games uh, one and two had they won game two. I think that was, that would have, that would have been a, a huge difference. A lot of people point to it myself included, you know, the Dwight King goalie interference call, if that should have been overturned, if, if that should have yeah. been a goal, that was probably the turning point in the series. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was tough. I mean, that, that's as close as a five game series as you're going to get considering, you know, three of the five games went to overtime, but I remember the Kings being, an, I think they were an eight seed and, and, but like everybody was like, you don't want this team, you know, because they, they had won the cup a couple of years before and they were just a juggernaut. They were just playing so well. It was just really, it was, it was a tough matchup for them. It really was. That was the year they came back from 3-0 against San Jose. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so they that, just had that pedigree of just knowing how to, to, to win. You know, they just had a lot of guys that just knew how to win from that 2012 team, and it just showed. And the Rangers were, you know, outside of St. Louis, there wasn't a ton of playoff a, a finals experience, you know, so it definitely showed. They certainly had a lot of games under their belt. Every series pretty much went to seven games, except for that Montreal series. And then, you know, the year before, you get you get the seven games against Washington and then the five against um, uh, Boston. So, I mean, that has factors in. And then they do it all over again, almost do it all over again the following year in 2015, eventually coming up short against Tampa Bay, which was, you know, still heartbreaking to me. To yeah, you know, watching that Islander Lightning game seven last year was eerily similar to how the Rangers went down. You just you're down one nothing, but it felt like five nothing. You just you, I, I, I keep looking back to that game seven. It's like, well, it was, it was one nothing. They were so close. But watching that game and, I, and where I was situated during the playoffs at that time. They always had me down ice level, like as like the third announcer, and I chime in, maybe do interviews and all that. And I remember being ice level, and I'm telling you, I never felt like they were winning that game. I, I even though they were one shot away, I just never felt that that, that Tampa was going to let them score that goal. It's a neutral zone trap. That's what it yeah. is. They couldn't figure out how to get it, in, how to get it in past their um, their defenders, and you know, work it. And I think what a lot of it has to do with all those series were seven games that the Rangers played. Except for no, actually, around one was five games. My bad. Um, but they just came off the the three one comeback to um, Washington. They were probably they were probably tired. You know, I mean that's no excuse, but like they were not the same skaters that they were. That was a fast team. Well, that was to, also the year too where they lost Sue, right? Yes, they yes. Had a head that. injury in the Pittsburgh series, and he was a really they really missed him. I always say that if Nash played the way he played in 2015 in the playoffs in 2014, um, I'm talking about Nash in the playoffs of 2015 because he had a lot of points. If he played like that the year before, I think we had a solid chance, of, a better chance of getting the cup. And if Zuccarello stays healthy in 2015, I yeah. think you're looking at two cups right there. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? A lot of people like to, to, to throw the hypothetical, oh, what if Fox was on the Rangers back then? What if uh, what if Panarin was on the Rangers back then? We probably would have won both cups. Um, I mean, I don't know how the salary cap would have worked. Maybe with Fox under an entry level contract, but I, again, those those teams were just incredible. Um, but on to this year, this year's team. What do you think of uh, of this team, this team this year compared to like last season, and how much of a difference has Gerard Gallant made? Well, I was not in favor of the firing. I was a Quinn guy, but but clearly Gallant has tapped into 
you know, getting the most out of these players. And uh, I really think you got to be thrilled with where they're going right now. The two biggest differences to me this year to last year, and I, and I mentioned it during the broadcast with David, he agreed. Number one, they've got a goalie that can steal them games. They, they didn't, they didn't, no one stole games for them last year. And especially in the first 10 games of the season where they weren't really playing well, but I think they won like six or seven of the first 10 was because uh, Igor just stole games. He just stood on his head. And there's been, a, 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 there's been times where you're like, they shouldn't have won that game, but boy, Shesterkin was just so good. That's a big difference from this year to last year. And also how well they played in the third period. There were so many games last year where they were even – going into the third period and they just were dominated and they just, you know, they, they would lose leads. I remember there was back-to-back games against Pittsburgh where they blew a late lead, had to settle for a point in the shootout. Another game, they were tied going to the third. They gave up a late goal and lost. They left so many points on the table because they just weren't as good a team in the third. This year, you've seen them be better in the third period. And really I would, they've lost only one game, I think in regulation when leading after two. They've got a tremendous record when they're tied going into the third, which tells you that they really have been very good in the third period. So those are the two biggest differences to me is getting a goaltender to steal games and being a better third period team. I think that's why they're in the position that they're in. Now, I, uh, you said that you were a Quinn guy and you weren't in favor of the Glant hiring. Why, um, what, what specifically did, did Quinn do that, you know, that you prefer over a Glant? Well, it wasn't that I I had no problem with the Gallant hiring. I, I didn't like Quinn being let go because I just thought he was a good coach. You know, I really did. And I didn't blame him for the situation that they were in. Um, but clearly, when you look at how things have transpired since then, I guess Gallant being a little bit more of a player's coach, a little bit more experienced has been a big difference. So I know I was very much in favor of the Glenn hiring. I, I actually wouldn't have minded if they brought Tortorella back too, because I was always a fan of John, but I just thought that I, I really thought David deserved another chance to come back, but you know, clearly they ended up making the right decision based on how they played. But uh, I didn't look at, I, I at least did not look at that team in the 56 game schedule or, or what they had done the year before and said, this is a coaching problem. They were clearly still in the rebuild stages um, and I, and I, and I liked the way that they played. So I was a little surprised, especially since the firing came after the original firings, I thought maybe Quinn would be spared, but looking back at it again, I think, you know, Chris wanted to bring in his guy, Galant's been experienced. I think it ended up being the right move. Yeah. I, I was the only thing that I was concerned about. I, I was pretty much a Quinn defender up until I heard that, um, Kako went on an interview and said that like he made him stay after practice and dump and chase the puck. And I wasn't a big fan of how that whole ice time situation, like you, you made an investment into number one overall pick Lafreniere and the number two overall pick Kako the year before. And I just felt like they weren't getting enough of an opportunity. And I was just concerned about, you know, um, how they were, they would play like, and this year it's kind of more of the same. Like, I feel like they're not getting as much, opportunity maybe they will once uh I mean, you see Lafreniere is in the top six right now he's playing once we come back from the the all-star break hopefully he stays with Zabanajad and, and Kreider and I, I like how he's been playing recently but I mean for the majority of the season it's a little it's um you kind of expect a little bit more from him and I I, I think 
maybe some of the callers from Michael K show probably feel the same way, like that, that they they're starting to feel like they're busts. Uh, do you kind of feel that way about them or no? No, no not yet. I mean, l- listen, are they Connor McDavid? Are they Steven Stamkos? No, it doesn't seem like they are on that trajectory, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're bad picks. And we also have to remember too. all right, first three years for Kako, his rookie year gets cut short because of COVID and he has to go to a bubble. Then last year, 56-game schedule, no preseason games. you know. And then this year, you know, he's been hurt. But he has been playing on the top line when he's been healthy. Lafreniere, kind of the same thing. Very strange rookie year for him. And then he comes into his second year, and he's been bouncing all over the place. He's playing some right wing, playing some left wing. He's playing on the top line. Playing, a lot of guys have been bounced around because of injuries and COVID and all that. So, um I think you probably expected a little bit more. You see flashes, but I do think there's some built-in excuses for them. Maybe we've got to change our expectations just a little bit on what we think they can become. Again, we were hearing that, you know, Kako, that, that Lafreniere was going to be Stamco. So maybe, maybe he won't be, maybe he will. But right now I'm, I'm not trading them. <clears throat> I know there's been that temptation of, of dealing these guys away. I would not do that. But um, I can understand a, a Ranger fan being a, a, a little curious to, you know, why these guys haven't lived up to the expectations. But you can look at New Jersey. You know, as Nico Hishier and Jack Hughes lived up to their expectations being the first overall picks. I mean, Hughes, I think, a little bit more. when, But he did have the shoulder injury. Nico's had a lot of things happen to him, too. But it just, it just goes to show you that just because you're a high pick, that doesn't mean you're necessarily on the fast track. You know, sometimes it takes a little while to kind of get it going, but um, they're in the lineup, they're playing and they're contributing. And I think uh, overall, as, as long as that continues and continues to get better, you got to be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Rangers are going to make any moves at the deadline this season? Or do you think they're going to go all in, maybe move for a rental? I, it's interesting because you can go rental, or do you try to think more long term? Uh, they've got some very difficult decisions to make with the cap. You know, what do you do with Ryan Strom? Eventually, having to address Kako. That's why Pavel Bushnevich isn't here because they just weren't going to be able to fit him under the cap. I really want to see where this team can go as presently constituted. Um, I, I I don't want to make it all about this year because I don't think it has to be. I, I think the the destination or the goal this year was to make the playoffs. You're going to do that, and I think. If everybody just continues to progress, what have they got? One guy over 30? You know, Ryan Reeves. I mean, there's still a young core of guys here growing, getting better. And I want to see where this goes. Now, they've got an excess of young defensemen. So eventually you're going to have to make deals just because there isn't room for everybody. But that could be done during the offseason. Uh, listen, if, if, if a Phil Kessel were to fall out of a tree for you without having to give up very much, would I would be opposed to that? No. But I don't know how much I want to mortgage the future for the right now. I think being patient can be uh, a virtue here because I, I do think the way they're presently constituted, I think they're moving in the right direction. And I kind of want to see where this ends up. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you. I think this year is great. I love what, what's, what's been done compared to last year with the team. We're, we have a great record, um, but I don't think this is the year for the cup. I think – either next year or the following year is really when the window starts to open up. When for me, the rebuild is over when Kako and Lafreniere start to pull their own weight, when they, when they start to break out, because that was like, those are the, the centerpieces of, of that rebuild. I mean, you could look at Fox, you could look at Panarin, Truba, maybe um, Keandre Miller, but 
to me, Kako Lafreniere, when those guys uh, break out, that's when that's when we got something cooking because yeah. we already have guys like Panarin, uh, Kreider, Zibanejad, Strom putting up high end numbers like 50, 60 points every year. You, you know, you could get Panarin. He's going to get like 80, 90, maybe even 100 points in a, in a regular season and the normal 82 game season. Uh, of course, the this his first year with the Rangers got cut short because of covid. Um but he was on pace for like a hundred points. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think keeping this core intact and I don't know, some people, some people seem to think that moving on from Ryan Strom is the, it might be the better option and bringing in a guy like JT Miller, or Tom, Tomas Hurdle uh, would be the better option. But what do you think about that? I think Strom is, should stay because of the chemistry with Panarin. Yeah, see, that's that. I was just gonna say that th- there's a chemistry there that you don't you want you don't want to give up on, you know. And, and listen, Tomas Hurdle is a great player, um, and but I, I listen. I know there's financial ramifications, but I, I like Strom. I think he's been great. The connection with Panarin is tremendous. Uh, I I would really hate to see him go. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if for for the right price, I think the Rangers will be able to to get it done. As of the deadline, they have they I think they have the most cap space out of any team. But um, in the off season, that's when it's going to get dicey because that's when the contract extensions for Zibanejad and Fox are going to kick in, and mm-hmm. that's when the cap space is like ten, eleven million dollars, uh, depending on how much the the ceiling raises. So I don't I don't I haven't even I don't know if there's an official confirmation on what the ceiling is going to be for the cap next year. I had heard reports it was only going to go up by one million. Um, but I wouldn't I'm, count on it going up too high. Yeah. Um, obviously with all the, you know, with the Canadian teams not playing in front of fans, there's been, uh, you know, it's, it's better than it was last year, certainly, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it going up too much higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, couple last questions. So, um, there's been a lot of talk, a bit of talk amongst uh, Ranger fans and the Michael K show listeners, a lot of them, myself included are wondering, What's it going to take for you to go on one of your famous rants, but about the Rangers, you've done it about the Mets, the Jets, the Giants, all this stuff, but not the Rangers. What, what, what will it take for you to do one of those famous rants? I don't know. I really never know what's going to push me over the edge. Um, and usually it's like a really good debate. Unfortunately, we don't talk as much Rangers or as much hockey as we do the other sports. And they just don't, Michael and Peter don't know what buttons to push on me. It'll probably be more of a just a, a, a hockey rant or just like lack of respect for the sport is probably the better way, better avenue for me to do that. But, you know, for all the people that think that these things are fake, there, there's a perfect example. I don't do it all the time because I never know what's going to set me off. So I, I really can't answer that question because I won't know until it happens. And sometimes even after it happens, I don't know why it happens. So um, I, I really can't answer that question. No, I get, I understand that they're, they are 100% real. I know it. The, this, the emotion and, you know, seeing your face and stuff like, you know, it's real. I don't know how anyone could think it's fake. Like the, the Ed Crane pool rant. I remember listening to that in my car uh, on the way to work. Like that was just incredible. And you're right. A hundred percent. I'm a huge Mets fan, but like, there's just, you know, those forever players, man, they just, they don't exist on the Mets. It's always no. on the Yankees. Hopefully that'll change. You know, there was a moment in time where I thought, where I thought, okay, maybe Conforto, Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo, those guys were going to be the forever players. But I mean, this past season was just 
a lot of them did not have a great, like Conforto and McNeil did not have great seasons. And, you know, Conforto's a free agent and right. doesn't look like he's coming back to the Mets. Well, let's hope we have a season, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Let's <laughs> hope we do have a season. Um, last question for you. So you've been to Stage House, you've been to Old Man Rafferty's, but have you been to New World Pizza in Skillman? I have not. So um, a bit How of do you a, know about all these places? You live around here? I am from Central Jersey. Yes, I, okay. I live in uh, Montgomery. Um, how do I know about all these places? Um, actually, my parents own New World Pizza. Um, it's it's. I, I'm not trying to be biased, but like I I live in Hoboken now for school. I go to Stevens, and you know they have great pizza pizza uh, parlors here, pizzerias here, um, lots of good pizza. Family in New York, so I've had I've had great pizza before. But I mean, just. The new world, my, my dad's pizza is just, honestly, it's the best pizza. I think you, right, try you know, it. I got to check it out. I will definitely yeah. check it out. We're looking for new, other places to go. So that sounds like it's a good, a good idea. Thank you. I will yeah. check it out and I'll let you know. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll hook you up too. We'll, we'll, we'll do a whole thing on like social media. We'll, we'll promote it and everything. It'll be great. Excellent. <laughs> um, but yeah, Don, thank you so much for, for hopping on. Uh, this is a great episode. Again, like this is a surreal moment for me. I'm completely starstruck. Uh, I'm, I accomplished one of my goals. And I always joke around and say like, next guy I got to get on is Steve Valaquette, you know, but that's just like impossible because you have to go through MSG, the PR department. And um, we'll just leave that as like something for the future. But I mean, mm-hmm. having you on was just in- incredible. Somerset- well, it was my pleasure. Anytime, man. Thank you so much. Good job. Hey, Rangers fans, thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay.